Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen, welcome to the Foyer Scenes Fire of American Soccer Show. <coughs> Today in uh, Tim Horton Stadium in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada comes up big at home again as they move another step closer to qualifying for the World Cup in Qatar as they, they, Defeat the United States by a final of two goals to nil. Uh, I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. Just a wonderful opportunity to see the United States and just getting ran over, run over, rough-shotted, As the United States looked lifeless, they did not look like themselves. It's just been uh, an absolute disgrace of a match to see the United States look like garbage out there. Absolute garbage. Just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Greg Berhalter with a starting 11. Questions all over the place. And all you can say is he has been outcoached once again by John Herdman. John Herdman deserves all the credit, all the plaudits to put Canada in a position to qualify for the World Cup as they are now top of the table, cemented at the top of the table of the octagon as Canada... You know, I've always rooted for Canada to be that big third wheel of the North Zone, to make the North Zone a powerhouse. But you know what? Now they've really shown their worth. Joining me right now, uh, the former host of his red card show. He's currently uh, with York United as part of the scouting department. The one and only Anthony Anthony Totera joins me right now to talk about this match and on the Canadian side of things as they are celebrating right now in Tim Hortons Stadium in Hamilton, Ontario. Anthony, I know you've been itching, yelling, screaming, bursting for something like this. Yeah, and today today crying because it's an unbelievable day. It's uh, an unbelievable moment. It's... uh, uh, these are tears of joy, and um, uh, it's just, uh, you, you guys have been to World Cup after World Cup. We haven't been there for, for ages, and the the suffering, the ridicule, the mocking that guys like me have taken for 50 years of, of supporting this team today is all worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you there now? Yeah. 
Oh, I'm here. I'm here. Don't yeah. worry. I'm yeah. here. I, I absolutely know what you're talking about because, you know, before, uh, before we, the USA ever qualified in 1990 for, the, for their first World Cup, hosting it in 94, and then going on till 2014, we've been ridiculed as well. But you know what? The hard work that your players have put in to believe in what John Herdman believed in, the fruits of your labor are growing right now. I, I, think, I think, Daniel, as I'm just about to tweet out just before you called me, is something that is really important that people need to understand, uh, especially you know here in this country, is that we do have good grassroots youth coaches. We do have good... Uh, quality academies. We do have good people that understand the game here, and they've been doing a lot of great work the last number of years. And a lot of these players are, are, are thanks to the hard work that they've put in coaches, volunteers, uh, you name it, at the grassroots youth club level. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Sorry, just emotional there because, like, <laughs> again, you, again, you guys have been, you know, to the World Cup time and time again and we haven't beaten the u.s in you know in a world cup qualifying cycle forever uh you know it's just it's mm-hmm. special and i don't blame you i i don't blame you i mean look we have the same friends uh you know in canadian media dwayne rollins kevin laramay you know, we talk about these wonderful things. I have always been supportive of Canadian soccer. I've always wanted Canadian soccer to grow, to be a part of the big three that is the North Zone. We all know Mexico has done wonderful things. We are doing wonderful things here in the United States. But it's always been Canada that has been lacking from, I, I would say, maybe a belief within themselves. And now you have John Herdman who has brought that out. It's not that you don't have talented players. You do. It's just how can you get them all on the same page? Correct, correct. And look, i got to give credit to the U.S. today. I I, I have to give them credit because they had uh, possession way, way more than Canada did. They created much more than Canada did. Uh, They seemed more hungrier from the get-go, but as soon as Kyle Lauren put that goal in, it looked like it took a little bit of the steam out of them, but they still kept on pressing. They still kept on, uh, you know, looking for that um, that opening and nothing. And I got to tell you, if it wasn't for, you know, Turner making that save on the rebound uh, late in the second half, again, off of Laren, it would have been over uh, then at 2-0. Uh, and, and Milan makes an, an incredible world-class save off the corner. And I forget who headed it for, for the U.S., uh, was, you know, that could have been a, a tie right there, but it's just, uh, it was a game of, of, uh, of roller coaster emotions. It really was. It really was. But you know what, though? I have to say this. Um, I really felt Borean was really inspired in this one. I mean, he really stood up, made some big saves. In this one, especially in the first half against Weston McKenney, it was a great cross at the corner by Pulisic. McKenney stepped up, tried to snap header in, but I thought it was in to originally, but Borion got his right hand, right hand up and swatted it out. That was an amazing save from him. Yeah, and how it's, long it's he's his been home. in the program yeah. as well. 
Yeah, it's his hometown, Hamilton, in case your listeners aren't aware. It's his hometown. It's his first time he's ever playing in his hometown in a World Cup qualifying match. And so to make, to make, that, uh, to make that save was absolutely incredible. But you, you could sense it not only from him, but all the local guys from Ontario were playing a little bit, uh, just a little bit more uh, with a, you know, an intensity level that they haven't had um, you know, since the last time they played the U.S., Absolutely, Anthony. Absolutely. You know, um, the, the, I mean, this but, group but of this players. I wouldn't take anything away, Daniel. I wouldn't take anything away from the U.S. Again, I was totally impressed mm-hmm. by today. I mean, uh, McKenney played an unbelievable match. Christian played an unbelievable match. Uh, you know, you, I, I don't think. I think maybe I would have started Pepe. I I I, I would have started Pepe. And that's just me. Mm-hmm. Right? But I, I, I don't think that the U.S. Uh, had, you know, anything that they didn't bring to the table that Canada wasn't expecting. I think what worked in their advantage also was this, and, I, and I'm glad we came away with the important win and the points, was U.S. played in a cold climate uh, game, the last uh, qualifying game they played. Uh, and, and Canada played in hot Honduras. And I think that, that could have come back to bite them because you could see, I don't know if you saw coming out of the tunnel, Canadian players had their, their jackets on, their, their, their long uh, jackets on, and the U.S. guys were all ready to rock and roll without their jackets on. And I, I knew right there that they were, they were ready in this weather. And for some reason, I was concerned. Understandable. Understandable. But, you know... Uh... There's a lot of U.S. fans that would probably disagree a little bit because they probably because we felt it was a very slow start to this matchup, even though they did build into it. But still, though, just not enough. Real quick, Carter Kirshner from World Soccer Talk joining me right now in Cardiff. I got Anthony Totera from Canada joining us. Uh, your thoughts on this one on the U.S. perspective? Yeah, I mean, I thought the U.S. really caught a break not having to face uh, the Canada team with Alfonso Davies. Just, just people who listen to your show know. I think Canada has the best first 11 in CONCACAF. But that's when Alfonso Davies is there. That's when Jonathan David is there. That's when right, they have the, the, the full allotment of players. Um, and they didn't have Davies today, but I thought tremendous start from Canada. Obviously, great, great, uh, great job with their counter-pressing at key times today. Uh, got the goal from Warren and also had a couple of other opportunities um, to uh, – um, to, to, to create uh, quick changes of possession and score goals uh, or, and create chances off of those, those turnovers, which was their counter-pressing game worked very well today. And that's, again, without Alfonso Davies. So big kudos to John Herdman. Uh, from the U.S. perspective, um, yeah, they, they, they start slowly. They um, have become a side that has strangely in matches which become um, – uh, become bogged down in midfield. They become very, very reliant on set pieces, which doesn't seem to be um, the, the, the strength of this side. I mean, we know against Mexico in, in the Nations League, they scored three times on, on set pieces, right? And it seems that's been the template since. When you have so many guys who are good attacking players um, in, in space, uh, in open play, and quite honestly, some very, very, uh, good counter-pressers also, although I think, again, not having Josh Sargent, who to me is the best 
American attacking player off the ball. Maybe not necessarily the goal scorer that um, that that we want, but as a number nine, but a guy that does a lot of has a lot of industry, kind of like an Emil Heskey was for England back in the day. Um, I I, you know, I think the better team won, but then we can point to, to to the breakdowns in the U.S. team. U.S. had some great chances to score, but again, mostly off of set pieces, which that bothers me because I just think in open play. Um, to me, the U.S. don't look like a very dangerous side unless there are attacks coming from the, from uh, from Getz and from Robinson. That's the only time the U.S. really looks dangerous to me in open play. Now in, I would say, the last half dozen qualifiers, I would say that that's really the, pro- that's really the, the problem for me. And I agree with that, Cardick. And I just feel like, and I've said this to Anthony, I think with the amount of games that in this current era right now with Burhalter and John Herdman, you know, Nations League group stage, Gold Cup group stage, um, what else? Uh, the home game for the U.S. against the Canada and Nashville. And now today, I feel that John Herdman has outcoached Greg Berhalter again. I think John Herdman has done a much better job with his players, having them prepared for success, where I believe... Greg Berhalter, I'll say it. I think he just takes the he takes some darts and throws it at the board. Yeah, um, I mean. Yeah. I just, go, go, oh, go I'm ahead, sorry. I thought that was yeah, for me. Ahead. Go ahead, Cricket. No, no, no. Go, go ahead, Anthony. I think that that's uh, that's a, that's a great point, and and uh, and, uh, and and make your point. I, I, Daniel was making a great point. I was just please. Gonna say. Yeah, yeah, guys. Look, I think again. I don't think maybe you guys are a little bit harsh on Greg getting out coached. I'm not. I'm not so sure about that today, watching this game, because again, from what I saw, the U.S. really had the gas, uh, the foot on the gas pedal from the start. Uh, Lauren got that great goal six, seven minutes in to, to, to you know, to get things uh, excited for the crowd. But then the U.S. still carried on with possession and and they created and they were they were. You know, they were looking for different things. They were trying different ideas. So, look, may, again, I would have started Pepe. Uh, I, you know, that to me, I, I would have started Pepe. Young, uh, hungry. Uh, he, he scored some big goals in, 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 in this World Cup qualifying. Um, you know, what more could you have changed? I've never been, per se, a, a Turner, um, you know, supporter, per se. I thought he left, you know... A lot to be desired on that first goal. Um, the second goal is the second one. It speaks for itself. He made a tremendous stop on the rebound, as we said. But I don't know, guys. Uh, I, I don't know. If, uh, I, John Herdman has done a tremendous job. He has done a tremendous job in uniting this team, uh, galvanizing them, uh, making sure that they are all on the same page, believing in one another. And so I, I have to tip my hat to him and and eat some humble pie from when he got hired because I wasn't sold, but I am, <laughs> I'm sold now. And Anthony, if you remember, I was on your show that night, the night that uh, he, he turned down the England women's or he pulled out of the England women's job um, consideration because, and you, and you were right. You, your hunch was, okay, so he's getting the men's job, right? They're going to uh, sack Octavio Zambrano. They're bringing him in. And I, I remember I agreed with you. I thought it was crazy, but um, a couple years later, here we are. Yeah, I, I, thanks for remember that, Kirk. I just, like I, I, I'm shocked and surprised, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to eat some humble pie and say that one's on me because he right now has got this team 
singing off all on the same, um, you know, sheet here. And, and I said this on another show last week, and, and I knew that we would qualify for the World Cup unless a catastrophe happens now, we will go to Qatar. I believe, depending who is in our group, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it proudly, I think we can get out of our group. I think with a healthy Alfonso Davies, uh, and Eustachio, who was missing, who's now playing with, with um, uh, Porto, uh, watch out, watch out. Uh, we've proven to Mexico, we've beaten Mexico, we've beaten the U.S. <laughs> you know, I considered Mexico a top 10 nation. I don't know now. And I agree. I mean, look, Mexico has always been like at least a top 10 nation in world soccer, you know, world football. Uh, I wouldn't go against you with that, uh, uh, that uh, premonition at all. Anthony, I, I really believe that Mexico, while there's still going to be a hunger and a rivalry between us and Mexico and now Canada and Mexico, Mexico, let's, let's be honest with ourselves here, Mexico's in trouble. And even though they pulled off a big win in Jamaica on Thursday when they were up a man and they were down a goal, you were really thinking to yourself – that A, Mexico is going to be in big trouble, B, that uh, Martino is going to get sacked, and even though they saved themselves, is there really an issue here with El Tree because they haven't beaten the U.S. You know, in Cincinnati, and they haven't beaten Canada now in two games, the 1-1 draw down at the Azteca, and the 2-1 victory in Edmonton. So all I can say is, Mexico now has company. It's not just a two-horse race anymore. It's a three-horse race. Yeah, yeah. And, Daniel, I, I think you know, we have to recognize uh, the fact that Canada has an exceptionally gifted uh, group of players. I think everybody knows about Alfonso Davies and has been talking him up. But, I, mm-hmm. I, as you know, I've been talking up Jonathan David for a number of years since he was in Belgium. And oh, yeah. um, last season at Lille, there are these people who just look at statistics and they, they'll come back at me and say, oh, well, he only scored 12 goals or something or 13 goals. And, and I told them, you have to look at when he scored those goals specifically in matches, in, when in the matches and when those matches were in the season, including the goal he set, scored at Parc de Prince um, against PSG that effectively won them the title. Um, he, is a, he is a clutch player. Laren has developed a... Um, a kind of a nastiness to his game where he, he pops up in, in, in certain moments. Uh, Junior Hoyle's a player that has been an enigma for me for a number of years watching him in England, uh, but he gives some good minutes off the bench. Buchanan, we know, was uh, in MLS this year, was one of the best players, in my opinion, in the league. Uh, and, and, and you could go on and on. I mean, Osorio has gotten better. Larea has gotten better. They have so many good players now that I think we also have to recognize – that they've got a particularly gifted generation and all the building uh, Canada soccer has done has, has paid off. Uh, like Anthony, I, I, like I said, I was on a show that night. I thought her, uh, moving Herdman over to the men's side when we knew they had this really good generation of players coming in um, with a mistake. And it's proven not to be. I mean, the thing I have to say about Herdman is that he just seems to be a great man manager more than anything. I, I, tactically, I'm not sure he's, he's a great manager, I'm not sure he's a guy that could manage in a good club side, but he has some sort of quality that has brought this side, that, that has glued this side together. And that's something that 
Um, the U.S. is lacking, and something Mexico is, is certainly lacking. Mexico is in worse shape than the U.S. I, I, uh, I watch Mexico play, and uh, they, they look uneven. It looks like um, got, they're, they're, they're running out of ideas and matches. Uh, when you hit minute 60, if, if they're behind or, or, or if it's a stalemate, um, there's not a whole lot of ingenuity in that side. So I, I am concerned about Mexico also. And I think, uh, look, uh, I, I think that there's a very good chance they, uh, they, qualify, they will qualify Mexico, but that Tata Martino will not lead them in the World Cup. I think they might just sack them after, after qualifying and find yeah. another coach for, for, the, for the tournament. You know, guys, who's a player yeah, that's really I, I, been under the radar that has been absolutely tremendous that I think the Philadelphia Union would look back and say to themselves, what did we do wrong here? Steven Vittoria, who had a cup of coffee with Philadelphia, yeah. has been the absolute solid beast of a player in this uh, cycle and at the start of this World Cup qualifying. He has been tremendous. Now, he's in his 30s. But when he was in Philly, he was in his late 20s, and I was shocked that Philly didn't keep this guy. No, it's very shocking. It really is. Sometimes, unfortunately, in MLS, I mean, unless you're Dwayne DeRosario, you know, I mean, you're not going to keep him. I mean, uh, I mean, who knows how many Canadian players have been in MLS on the American side of things, and they barely get a, a, a fair shot at, you know, getting playing time. You never know these days, and... I, I agree with Anthony. But you know what, Anthony? You know what else I have to say? It's, you also have to look at what Toronto FC has done, to look at what, the Mon- what Montreal has done, what the Vancouver Whitecaps have done in developing these players. And now, of course, it's only been a couple of years, but the Canadian Premier League has really come up big time now. You're getting players all over the place, especially Hamilton Forge. I have to give Hamilton Forge tons of credit for hiring the right guy to manage the club to, you know, the scouting department, the players that you're bringing in that are Canadian that are probably also making this national team and the Canadians that are playing abroad and Canadians that probably would never think about at the time come play for Canada, maybe play for countries where their parents are originally from and play for them. Now they're coming out of the woodwork and joining like Estacchio has. He's been a revelation as well for Canada when he's been healthy and right. Absolutely. I mean, I've got to point out a couple. You know, again, of course, thanks to the MLS clubs because they did a lot of the legwork before. You know, now that I'm working in CPL the last four or five years, we're starting to walk before we can ever run like MLS. They've done all the great work, absolutely, uh, Daniel. But I've got to give credit to a couple uh, organizations. Sigma who, uh, if people don't know, they're in the USA, is a powerhouse academy, not only in Canada, but the U.S. of it. You ask any NCAA coach, they will know exactly what I'm talking about. Kyle Lauren from Sigma, Richie Maria from Sigma, started today. Uh, Mark Anthony King, Alistair Johnson played with Vaughn Soccer Club up here in the Toronto area. Kamal Miller. Vaughn Soccer Club, who started today. So that's five guys right there in the starting lineup that came. I'm, I'm probably missing somebody because I'm still over the moon that came from this Toronto area alone. From an academy, one academy, and one youth club. Why? Because they're doing what is right for the athlete, for the player. Their coaches and the people that are running that academy and club are checking their egos at the door and saying, we need to do what's best for our athlete and that's why they have success and that's why we're having success 
Exactly. Exactly. And right now, I mean, there's no argument here to be made. Uh, Canada has been, you know, I, I, I mean, we could probably, Cardiff, we could probably, you know, uh, commend Canada soccer till the cows come home what they're doing. But, you know, when you look at, you know, our team and you look at our players, these slow starts have really hampered them. And even though they won on Thursday against El Salvador 1-0, was that a, you know, did, did you feel convinced that that was a confident performance against them? Uh, no, it wasn't. But, um, look, qualifying, and, and Anthony can attest to this, and I, Dwayne Wallace can attest to this, because you've seen Canada lose at the sub-hex level in the past in, in, in against sides that they should beat and, and, and sides that they were better than, quite honestly, in some cases. Um, so it's a grind, right? I, I, the one nil against El Salvador didn't really bother me, the score, score line. I mean, I think a lot of U.S. fans are deluded in, in, in um, their, uh, their views of, of the, the player pool. I mean, we talked about this before, Daniel, on, on the preview show on Monday, right, which Dwayne was on, that uh, a lot mm-hmm. of U.S. fans are – Deluded by the player uh, by the level of the player pool and are overly critical of Berhalter. So I, I didn't want to get into that. I think they got through that match. It wasn't a convincing performance. I agree. The performance wasn't convincing, but the scoreline was fine. They got three points. Uh, and as I said, lot most of their good attacking play is coming through the fullbacks, which um, is not something unusual in, in, in world football now. I mean, we're seeing Chelsea, for example. I mean, you see how bad Chelsea has been since. Reese James got injured and Ben Chilwell got injured. Um, and a, a, everyone's complaining, well, uh, Havertz isn't playing well, Pulisic isn't playing well, everybody but Mason Mount isn't playing well, basically. But it's because so much of what Tuchel does runs through those fullbacks. Those two guys are the focal points, and they're both out. So I think Burhalter is similar. He's kind of, in spite of um, the U.S. midfield, which I think, I agree with Anthony, actually, there was some good ingenuity and some good interplay today in the U.S. midfield, probably better than we've seen in the last few qualifiers, honestly. It's just that they had already fallen behind mm-hmm. one nil at that point. So the slow start, yeah. I guess, is the issue again, right? We've had continuous slow starts mm-hmm. in matches. Um, it, 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 even the, games against Me- the game against Mexico, slow start. Game, game down in, in San Pedro Sula against Honduras, slow start. Uh, game, uh, which other match was it in uh, uh, Jamaica? Uh, down in down in Kingston, very fortunate to get a point. Uh, and there was another match that I'm watching. Oh, Costa Rica match, right? When when Costa Rica had had a number of injuries, you caught them at the right time and slow start and really needed a um, for some fortuitous breaks to to win that match. So the, the the problem is the U.S. seems to be coming out of the dressing room kind of sluggish. Berhalter doesn't know his best eleven. I think he the only thing he knows is his his midfield three. So he knows he likes. Adams, McKinney, and Mousse as that midfield three. And that midfield worked well tonight. Um, and those three guys are consistently playing together when they're fit. So that's one thing that's working. The thing that's not working is I don't know that he knows his best front three. I agree with Anthony. I don't know why Pepe is not uh, your focal point, your number nine, given, given you don't even have Sergeant on this squad, which is another uh, just a subject we discussed on Monday, which, again, um, I completely yeah. disagree with the – the decision not to bring him, but he's not there. So Pepe should clearly be your, your starter. Um, so I think that there's some, some confusion as to, as to that front three, who should be playing there. Obviously, we haven't seen Gio Reyna yet play a minute in qualifying because of his injury. 
Uh, so that's been a problem. Mm-hmm. And then on the back line, I think we know we like Dest at right back and we like Robinson at left back, uh, Robinson in particular. But um, the center back pairing is, is, is a bit of a mess. Dest is not the best man marker as a right back. So he tends to leave a lot of space, and we've actually seen this at the club level too with him. So I think a lot of the U.S.'s problems come down to Burhalter not knowing his best 11, not really having a feel yet for some of these guys, whether they will consistently give you uh, uh, the effort uh, right out of the gate uh, that, that, that you need in, in a World Cup qualifier, particularly away from home. The three-man midfield, you know what they're going to give you. So he's stuck with those three guys. And it's, and it's working, quite frankly. The rest of the team is not working. It's very dysfunctional. And, again, we can blame the manager for that, but I think it's also a case of guys not performing well consistently enough. Again, we're looking for consistency at this level um, to be automatically in that team sheet. So he's mixing and matching every match. And then um, this cycle you have five substitutions, which we haven't had before. So he's able to fix a lot of these problems in the second halves of games. Uh, with substitutions today, the substitutions came later because, quite honestly, the midfield was was keeping us in the game, uh, even even down one nil. Uh, but most of the matches we've seen, Burhalter have to make one or two changes at halftime, right? You at, know, the, at the forty-five minute mark and bring uh, and change and even change the shape of the team in in, in 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 some cases. Go from a four-three-three to a three-five-two, or do something uh, to change change. Uh, the way we were playing. So at least that didn't happen today. But, yeah, the slow starts are a problem, but I think there's an explanation, which is outside of the, the mid- midfield, um, the manager doesn't know his best team. He doesn't know his best goalkeeper either yet. I mean, that's another issue. So exactly. you basically know, yeah, you know three guys. You know who your best le- left back is. That's Robinson. You know you want to get Kulisic in there somewhere, so that's five guys. You don't know the other six, quite honestly, from match yeah. to match. And that's a problem. Kartik is spot on with everything he's been saying. He's spot on. But guys, I, I, I'm not one to, you know, uh, discuss and dissect the issues of the USA. But what stands out to me is three guys that I took that took a lot of beating when they played for for USA that were in many times disrespected. I look back at these three guys and I think of one word: leadership. I think of Josie Altador, Michael Bradley, and Landon Donovan. And I don't see any of those guys on that team right now. You look at Canada. You have Milan, you have Stephen Vittoria, you have Alfonso Davies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on. There's, mm-hmm. there's leaders. I don't see leaders on that USA team. Not like back in the day of a Josie Altador, like a Michael Bradley, like a Landon Donovan. Uh, you know, I mean, like a Clint Dempsey. You, you don't have one. And I, and I don't care what people are saying about Christian and about, you know, Adams. They're not leaders. Leaders are guys like Bradley, Altidore, Dempsey, uh, you know, those are leaders. So those are the type of guys that would, I'm sure would go in the locker room at halftime and shake up a bunch of guys. Is there that guy doing that? You guys would know better than me. I don't think so. There, there isn't. No, I agree and, and Anthony's absolutely right. And when I, when I raised this subject on Twitter, Daniel, remember, I said, okay, if I'm Greg Verhalter, I'm recalling Michael Bradley just to have him in the dressing room. I don't care if he plays a minute. Yep. In qualifying, I, for this right. very issue, remember when I said that on Twitter, and I got, I got, I got savage in a way that I've hardly ever been savage before with the people saying delete my account, and the person who said delete my account getting a hundred likes, 
And I was trying to, I first tried to explain it to some of these people saying, look, you don't seem to get what I'm saying. There are no natural leaders in this side. Michael Bradley is not a retired player yet. He's still playing at a fairly high level for Toronto. It doesn't matter if he even uh, sees the pitch. You need him in the dressing room. He's a guy the other players look right. up to. He's a guy the other players respect, the, the younger American players. So, um, but, you know, I saw how the fans reacted to that, which is probably why Burhalter. Uh, it's, it's, it's fearful because I think if, if Berhalter were left to his own devices, he probably would call one of those two guys back, whether it's Bradley or it's Altidore. Um, I, would, I would prefer Bradley, but you know, maybe it's Josie. Maybe he's the guy who gives the leadership. But you need someone like that in your team. Uh, they don't have to play. And, and you I, need yep. them in the dressing room. You need them on the bench. And we don't have that guy, quite frankly. Anthony's spot on. No, we... and, and as I said, I raised the issue six months ago, and, and everybody went ballistic. So I guess it's a dead horse now. Well, I mean, I've been the glad, same thing on one of my review shows as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I said the same thing. <laughs> and I said the same thing in one of my review shows as well. Or even I said it. I think they should bring back Michael Bradley to at least, you know, address something in the locker room to get these guys, you know, even extra motivated to go out and play. Because you need a veteran leader somewhere. Not just because, you know, you got a guy like, look, Ariola, you know, he's a veteran of some sorts. He can do things, but, you know, we don't, but he's not a leader. Ariola's not a leader. You want someone who's been there before. You want someone who's done these things before that goes out and leads your players. He doesn't have to start. He doesn't have to come off the bench. But if you have him to inform your players, these young, you know, some are already sitting in golden generation for the U.S., the, the, the players that we have right now. But it doesn't mean a damn thing if they're not led by a veteran who's been through these qualifying wars every four years. So, yeah, I don't mind seeing Michael Bradley coming back to the roster. I'm not saying he's got a dress. I'm not saying he has to play. I'm not saying he has to start or sub in. He can be on the bench and relax. But at least he's been there, he's done it on positive and or negative, and he's able to at least share his thoughts and share his feelings and be that extra coach that at least is still wearing boots that can play on the pitch. He's still going to be playing for his dad in Toronto at Toronto FC. So why not use him? So you're afraid of the backlash? Yeah, so the other issue is that. So, you know, uh, we've been talking about this now for four years, but I've been uh, – four years, four and a half years. I, I've been disgusted, and I know, again, I, I've ended up taking it on the chin when I pointed out the, the visceral reaction from a lot of MLS fans in the U.S. when Toronto comes to their town and Michael Bradley and Josie Altador are playing and the boos and the cheers and all of this nonsense where somehow – there has become a narrative within the U.S. fan base that they were to blame for the U.S. not qualifying for the last World Cup, when in fact, you know, they were, they were two of the parts that actually worked in a team that was not very good and didn't qualify because they weren't very good and had other issues. Um, and uh, particularly Michael. Michael was playing at a really high level still then. Um, I, uh, I think the failure to rein in that narrative to, to basically allow that to go for four years has made it su- su- such – uh, a problem to where Burhalter can't recall either one of those two guys. I, and again, I, I well, no, hold on, uh, critique, critique. Right. I want to stop you. There. Go ahead. He, he, he can. 
Mr. Mancini called Balotelli back, and he took all the heat, and right. he, he hasn't true. played a yep. game yet. So, so if Greg Berhalter is the coach that is going to take this team to Qatar and is going to show some, uh, you know, initiative and be more creative than other guys, then the hell with the pundits and people say out there, I would think of Bradley or an Altidore if they're in, in, in the proper condition in mind frame, just like a Balotelli has shown up now at the camp of Italy. Like, who cares? Like that, that's my point to you yeah, guys. Like, yeah. It's like you have yeah. two aces there. Sure that they're a little bit older, and sure they have a lot of miles on them. But it's, it's like Daniel said, like, put them on the bench. At, at, at minimum, have them on the bench. Or, or, or at least have them around the team. Something of, of that oh nature. God. Yeah, have yeah. them in training even. Because I bet in training when you have nothing but young players – and players who, quite frankly, many of them have been overhyped, not by no, no fault of their own, by the way. So when I say maybe there's too much uh, a te- uh, hype around McKinney or Pulisic, it's not their fault. It's the fault of the media or, or whatever. But whatever, whatever the case, you need a steady and calming influence. And Michael especially is that. If you know him personally, that's what he is. That's what he's brought to the national team. That's what he's brought to his club side. And he's a, he's a great guy to have in the dressing room. He's a guy that would understand at this point in his career he's not going to play um, to, to play very many minutes. And, and he's still in good enough condition to, to give you the odds, you know, 10 or 15-minute cameo here or there. I think it's absolutely worth it. I agree with both of you guys. The thing I just don't, don't get and why I'm saying it may be untenable at this point, although you're right, the Balotelli example by Mancini actually kind of refutes this point. So you're right, Anthony, is that, They've allowed the scapegoating to go on for four years to where, I mean, the second uh, this started, it became a toxic thing. You couldn't call Bradley or Altidore into the national team, which made no sense because, I mean, look, the U.S. still has a a problem in terms of also maybe uh, controlling tempo in matches at times. So as good as I say the U.S. midfield is, um, sometimes – because they're young, because they're the kind of players they are, they're all kind of attack-minded, all three of those guys, particularly Moussa and, and McKinney, um, you need a guy who's going to put, the foot on the, put a foot on the ball and slow things down. And Mike, Michael Bradley is still that guy. Um, there's no one better in probably the history of the national team for the U.S. than Michael Bradley in that specific role. Guys, now, let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> Canada here. I mean, we've got to give my boys some credit here, as much as uh, I know I'm down south. Oh, I've been giving your boys tons of credit. <laughs> no, I know you have, but I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, the, the golden generation that we have right here today and that win today was uh, not only a statement to the U.S., but to the rest of the CONCACAF that we've arrived and, and we're not leaving anymore. And, and long gone are the days that we're going to be the whipping boys of Mexico, the U.S., Costa Rica, Jamaica, and Honduras. That's gone, right? Because I think the fear that other nations are starting to see that Canada doesn't have of any of these nations is a statement in, in itself. If you watch Richie Luria, if you watch Mark Anthony King, if you watch some of these guys go up against the Mexicans, the U.S. boys, and you name it, they're not afraid anymore. We're, you know, they, they've actually learned how to play the CONCACAF style and take the time and, and maybe stay on the ground a little bit longer, um, you know, uh, um, and, and, and play fearless and score big-time goal when they need it. And, again, 
I don't, I don't want to be harsh on, on Greg and, and the coaching staff there. I, with my eyes, what I saw, the possession that the U.S. had was, I don't have the numbers in front of me, it's got to be at least, you know, 65 to 75%, at least, if not more. Mm-hmm. And so Canada capitalized on, on the very few chances they had, the one with Bonham, and obviously the, the second one, and almost the third, but the U.S. didn't capitalize on their chances. And I think what the U.S. is missing also, again, is, and again, I go back to this killer instinct, this, that they're, that they're missing this killer instinct of a player. I thought Zardes maybe would be that up front, but he didn't show that. I think, who was it that, um, I think it was Adams that went up and got in the face of, uh, of um, I forget who it was, of Canada. And, and he, he showed some, you know, some real energy there. But I think that's what the, the team is missing. You can always look at the manager and, and put the blame on the manager. But sometimes the players got to look at themselves in the face too and say, maybe we're the issue here. And, and yeah, I agree so with that <laughs> with you as well, Anthony. I think oh, the players... I, I, oh, I was just going to chime with the possession. Go ahead, Carter. 64-36. Yeah, it was 64-36 for the U.S. And the U.S. had um, ha- ha- had more total shots. However, the chances created were equal. And the big chances... Um, that weren't converted were uh, were uh, favor Canada. So I don't know what the XG was. I don't have that if that's the stat you're interested in. But um, possession was dominated by the U.S., but they didn't create the chances with that possession that they needed to. And as Anthony said, Canada was really clinical on the counter. Uh, two goals and, like I said, two other big chances that they didn't convert um, that, that were recorded. Yeah. No, and I agree, and I agree. Look, it's the players that, when you have that much possession, what you're going to do with that possession? And, you know, the the, the corner in the first half, and Borion stops McKenney. There were at least two chances on in the second half. Borion makes a big save. Um, I thought Ariola was going to convert the equalizer. He went for the bike, and he missed wide to the near post. Um other than well, that, though. I mean, I, I have to admit, though, because I, I think Canada barely gave any space. I would right. say so Daniel, here's the, the majority with, of the with game. With all that possession, so, so with all that possession, when you watch club matches in Europe, uh, just, just as an example, teams that have a lot of the ball. So Man City is a great example. Liverpool is a great example. Um, Bayern is a great example. They move teams side to side. And eventually the space opens up because the passing is so precise and the movement is so, so crisp that, yeah, maybe it takes 65, 70 minutes. But usually by that point in the match, they've moved, um, the, they've moved the defense, defense in such a way that they've opened up space in open play. What was impressive to me today, and it was, it's been impressive actually the whole qualifying campaign for Canada, uh, Anthony, is that, that, that back four of yours, they don't give much space. But they're not, they're not playing in what you would call a traditional low block either. They are um, they're moving, but they're not, they're not, they're not leaving uh, uh, room behind them to make runs, and they're also not getting beat uh, in one-on-one situations very often. So to me, the Canadian back line may be, as much as anything, is the story today. And, and Buchanan ha- had another tremendous game, right? He's coming off of a oh, killer yeah. season in MLS where he, where he was one of the best players yep. in the league, in my opinion. And this, he's you, probably the best you know what also, I think, I mean, I what I also yeah. think worked to the disadvantage of Canada, even though they, they, they ended up winning 2-0, is the field. 
Like, it, it, you know, I think if this was in better conditions on a grass field with the speed that we have, and even missing Fonzie and missing Estacchio, with the speed we have, and, and if, the, if the, let's just say it was, you know, in, in Vancouver, and it was, uh, you know, in, in a better climate, and yes, it was, you know, as we like to call it, the plastic pitch, I think Canada would have actually had more control and maybe would have been even more dangerous. I found the field today, and again, it goes back to Canada playing in hot hunters and the U.S. playing in a cold climate game a few days ago. All those things played against, I think, Canada and some of the things that they wanted to try and do as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and don't forget, right. yeah, go back uh, to a hot climate now because you have to face El Salvador down there. So, yeah, I, I think guys, yeah, I, so honestly, like, is, is is I like to tell the U.S. supporters out there, don't be so hard, guys. I mean, please come and have a seat in my chair for the last fifty years. Come and sit here, and, 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 and you know, you would you would yeah, find a lot technically of technically, I have. <laughs> So, so the the game in the game in in San Salvador actually is house money now. If you guys get a point, um, you're going to qualify at this at this point. You've got uh, your your four toughest games are over with, so uh, you just have to kind of tee this out now. So I, I I don't I it's a tough turnaround, but I I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. I wouldn't be overly concerned if Canada didn't get a result out there even. I, I think job is almost done. You guys are almost across the finish line. Yeah, yeah. I, it'll be a catastrophe if they, if they don't get a point in the remaining games. That's all they need. I mean, like I said, guys, I think, you know, I, I, I understand that it was a tough loss today. But, again, I'm looking at this if I'm an American supporter, which, thank God I'm not, that you guys have to realize <laughs> that you're still sitting in a good position to get to the World Cup. There's a lot of positives. And I think what needs to change is, in my humble estimation, is you've got to bring in some vets, some hungry, grizzled guys that have leadership qualities to help these young guys out. That's what Canada has right now. It's a great mix of, of, of grizzled vets and outstanding young guys. I, I think you guys don't have that. And I think that's what's missing, whether no. it is a Bradley and Alter, whoever it might be, I don't know. And again, I'm not sold on term. I'm really not sold on Turner. So to me, I would put a question mark on that because, again, that first goal, uh, boy, I think he could have had that. And, and I, I, you know, I think of the goal even uh, in the last um, game, I forget who it was, not the last, the, the last cycle. He, he let up a, a weak goal there too. So I'd question mark him as well. I mean, it's more questionable now because, by, by you know, way, that, he was with the revolution and in the MLS offseason. Oh. I was going to say Zach Steffen was spotted at an Oldham match yesterday in League Two, so uh, he didn't even make the, uh, the jaunt over here. Uh, <laughs> we're no. Mason Mountain and Jorginho were in a Miami Heat game, so they came to the U.S. But uh, Zach Steffen was actually taking in some football in England yesterday. So Turner is the, the guy now for the next qualifier as well. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's going to have to – uh, there are going to be some questions asked of him, right, and that, that he's going to have to respond to. You're right, Anthony, and, and that's uh, um, that. It, it's an odd position for a keeper to be in because I think there's there's a lot else that the U.S. needs to fix. But the most obvious thing, if you look at the history of the U.S., is the U.S. has had a lot of teams that have been maybe player for player weaker than this team, but they've always had the Casey Kellers or the Brad Friedels or the Tim Howards, that kind of, that level keeper. And this is the first cycle the U.S. doesn't have a keeper at that. Uh, at that level, even when you talk about guys like Tony Miola and Marcus Hahnemann and 
Jurgen Summer. We're talking about guys that are probably at a higher level than these two guys, than Stefan and uh, and Turner. So um, I think that that, and I know uh, yeah. uh, Daniel, we got into this on that transfer show we were on the other day. That that was, I mean, I, yeah. I you you were asking the question why why when American players are being rated so highly and they've had so much success with uh, with, with with Friedel and, and uh, Howard and, and Keller in the past, why are these two guys not as well respected? Because simply they're just not as good. I mean, the U.S. has a goalkeeper problem now, um, which yeah. is uh, the first time really that we've had that. And, and for Canada, it's great to see because, um, you know, I still think of all the guys that Canada has lost through the years. And this is another thing, Anthony, that I think maybe you guys have talked about. Um, when you lose guys like Owen Hargreaves and uh, Begovic and, and most recently Tamori, guys that all could have been probably should have played for Canada, um, now that you're at a certain level, I think you won't lose the uh, – Dick Guzman's another one, right? Um, well, you're missing one. You're missing yeah, one that really guys. sticks in my craw is Cristanti. Yeah, he won a Euro with Italy. Yeah. But you know what? I, I could care yeah, less about Cristanti. Cristanti, to me, is a guy that could have really, really helped out. And, and I hope he looks now. And, and I, I'll tell you right now, my family came from Italy. He might be I'm watching born and raised from the, from the television. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? <laughs> like I said, I, I'm born and raised in Canada. My family came from Italy. I couldn't be more happier to see if Italy doesn't qualify and we qualify. And that would be a, a special, <laughs> special message to, to Cristanti. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it all depends on that playoff, right? You guys like Cristanti and Tamori. The, the most, two most recent guys, Cristanti and Tamori, Anthony, I'm thinking you won't lose those guys anymore. Because now, not only is Canada about to qualify, but if you watch a match like today, you can't be, you can't be uh, even, uh, you, you cannot be not carried away by the emotion, the Voyagers, how, how, how loud that place was, what the spirit in the side is. And I think a guy like Cristante. Um, yeah, he's, gonna, he's probably regretting this, even though he won the Euros. He, he won't say it. But um, to be part yeah, of that, critique, you're saying that we're not going to lose that. Yeah, I, I want to challenge you on that. You're saying that we're not going to lose guys anymore with what? Look, if guys didn't want to play for Canada at the beginning when we were, you know, struggling even to to get to where we are today, I don't, I, I, I don't want to see them in a red jersey. I don't need them here. It's guys that committed. It's guys that wanted to play for Canada. So now all of a sudden, we're on the top of the of the table, and it's like, geez, can I see if my parents have any blood back to Canada so I can play for Canada? No, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't need that. No, that's I want good... guys that are coming from our country here that have put in their time and dues, that are not begged to come and play for Canada. So that's a great point. And I don't blame a guy like you, Jonathan Anthony. David, he's a great example because the U.S. did try and call him in on multiple occasions, I'm told. And he, he, he told yep. Tab Ramos each time, I'm Canadian. I'm going to play for Canada. This is when he was 17 or 18. And, and look, I mean, that's the kind of guy you want. And his, he's going to be much more fondly remembered by Canadian fans than any of those guys we just mentioned. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And I don't blame Jonathan David for how he feels. You know, I'm not going to put myself in a player's shoes, like, well, who would I want him to play for? Or who do I demand for him to play for? Do you, you, am I going to demand him to play for the U.S.? Or I'm going to let him make his own decision. I'm letting him make his own decision. If he feels more Canadian than American, so be it. Go ahead. It's his choice. I'm not here to go against it. Now, at least, you know, what I've learned from the um, – uh, who was the uh, Italian kid, the uh, American-Italian kid – who decided not to play for the U.S. 
Giuseppe Rossi. And I admit, I, I yeah. got into that. I got into that a long time ago where he wanted to play for Italy, didn't want to play for us. He said, I don't want to play for the U.S., I want to play for Italy, and this, this. <clears throat> Excuse me, but when I found out in an article that his father influenced him to play for Italy and not for the U.S., I let it go. I, I changed my mind, and I said to myself, well, if, that's, if he got influenced by his father to play for, for Italy because that's where his parents are from, then, you know, fine. You know, I, then yeah, I understand it's not completely. Fine. It's not fine, Daniel. You know why? Because then they come back to your beautiful country, the U.S. of A., or my beautiful country, yep. Canada, after they're playing, and they all of a sudden say, well, this is my country now because I've got the great benefits, I've got the, the great structure, the great life here in the U.S. of A. or Canada, so I'm coming back now and making it my country. No, don't bother. When we needed you, you, you turn your back on us, and all of a sudden I'm going to come back and, and make the USA my home? No, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yep. And I agree with you there as well. Yeah. It's tough. It's, it's, just, it's just tough these days when you're a dual national and you've got a choice to play for either the country your parents are from or the country you were born in. And, but for, if I was playing, if I was a, for, a player, you know, I have a choice of either playing for Romania or for Hungary or for the United States. And my parents would tell me right off the bat, I want you to play for the U.S. And I wouldn't have had any question about it because I wanted to play for the U.S. But that's just how I would have felt if I was a player, if I was going to be doing it. So, you know, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on. But, gentlemen, um, thank you very much for joining me today. Anthony, congratulations on the results. Kardec, it's a tough one. They've got one more left to go as they're going to host Honduras at Allianz Field in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, while Anthony Candle will be making another trip to Central America and he'll be taking on El Salvador. But Canada is basically on its way to qualify for the World Cup. Any final thoughts, Anthony, from your side? No, guys, I appreciate you having me on and, and keep your head up. I mean, yeah, it's, it was fantastic uh, result for Canada today, but I think uh, sometimes you guys got to sit back and see how some of the rest of the CONCACAF nations have suffered and, 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 and just be grateful that things will get better for you. And uh, I'm glad that we cannot be called uh, the little brother anymore, that we are on even keel for the first time in a long time. <laughs> All right. Cardick, any final thoughts? Yeah, I, I, uh, congratulations to Anthony and, and Dwayne and all our friends uh, uh, north of the border. Exactly. Uh, this is something I'm very happy for them, right? I mean, I, I tend to root for Canada when they don't play the U.S. So, um, not exactly, to root for, me I too. Do root for Canada when they don't play the U.S. So, I'm very happy for them. I think the U.S. midfield play was better today, so that's a positive. And we went through all the negatives, but, um, you know, get back at it on, on, on Wednesday. So, uh, all to play for still, and congratulations to Canada. I think they're going to qualify uh, now, and that's great. I think that's great for the region that Canada is qualifying. It's, it's important for CONCACAF. No offense to the countries in Central America that have helped flew in the flag, but Canada has been a sleeping giant, and this is important because oh, they yeah. can be more competitive at a high level than, than Costa Rica or Panama or Honduras. Let's be perfectly honest about it. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Cardick, and I'll talk to you again soon. Um, this is Daniel Feuerstein, Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Thank you for joining uh, me and my guest today for Carter Kirshner of World Soccer Talk and for Anthony Torterra. Thank you for joining us. Have a good evening, everyone, and watch the rest of the games on Paramount+. Plus. Have a good night. Take care so long, and bye-bye for now.